Hi, welcome to Food for Thought, the OFM podcast. I'm Peter Defty, and today um, we're going to be talking to Nikki Kimball, who's an ultra running legend and still a competitive ultra runner. And uh, our hosts today are going to be Stephanie Holbrook and Naomi Land. Um, say hi, all you girls. Nikki. Hello. Hello. Hi. All right. Now, uh, Nikki is a Vespa OFM athlete, and I've known her for several years, and we've actually been working pretty closely together for, I think, the last three or four years. Is that right, Nikki? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And um, we're going to have a couple of uh, interviews with Nikki, but the first one, we're going to talk about her story and and, uh, more personal and just uh, uh, that sort of thing, because... Um, and then second interview, Zach and I will probably do more on her performance in racing and longevity in the sport. So I'm going to turn this over to uh, Stephanie and Naomi and um, to let Nikki tell her story. So ladies, take right. it from here. Well, I'm personally super excited because I've been a Nikki stalker for years. And <laughs> I've been, you know, it's just fun to watch your race results and uh your movies. I've done a few ultras, but not that many. And it's just, um, you seem like you always are pushing hard. And the Finding Traction movie, I didn't actually know it was out on uh, YouTube. Uh, because when I initially saw the the information on it, it was only on DVD for, well, it wasn't even done for a while. And then it was on DVD. So that's right, super yeah. cool. We were actually quite surprised by that too. Um. <laughs> oh, did it end up on YouTube? <laughs> Well, the, the, we were surprised to see it on YouTube, yes. Oh, 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 so that's not good. So everybody well, go and actually know. find Yeah, I, I'm not in charge of that part of it. Oh, so, uh, the, um, but you can still buy the DVDs. Yes, so, you can. And uh, that's super awesome. <laughs> Get the DVD. It's much better version than the YouTube yeah, version. It's probably much higher quality definition and sounds better and everything. Absolutely. <laughs> so something that I um I have questions about. Um, well, first I want to um, hear your ultra running story of how you got started, and then I have specific questions about your nutrition, you know, before and, and hormones and, and changing, and how you started working with Peter and and just uh, that sort of thing. Um, but and uh, so unless you have something, Naomi. Um, no, that's a good start. Then take it away. Okay, so do you want me to just talk about... Talk about... Did you... So, how long have you been running ultras? Okay, so, um, my first ultra marathon was in 99, um, so I raced that year, and, well, I probably... Yeah, my first official one in 99, um, and I've been racing, you know, six, eight, ten ultras a year since then plus marathons and ski races and whatever um so yeah it's kind of a long career in in ultra um and it started just kind of randomly i just um i was just trail racing and at the time nobody really talked about ultra marathon or wasn't talked about much and the internet was not playing a big role in sports at the time at all um so uh, yeah i just um as soon as i finished graduate school i started having a bit more time to train and started running ultras. Cool. The um and what sort of diet did you follow initially? Did you follow yeah, the typical so, so, low fat high carb yeah, diet? Yeah, well this is the funny story is that um when I was about 12 years old I was at a training camp in Lake Placid, New York for for um elite cross country skiers and um they had a celebrity television doctor come talk to us. And he, uh, he, his, his basic take-home message, or what a lot of us took home from that. I mean, it's you know, it's hard to remember when you were twelve, but many, many, many people changed their diets after this camp. Um, and he basically said that American athletes didn't do well in cross-country skiing because we were all too fat, and we were too fat because we were eating too much fat. And, um, you know, so that's the perfect thing to say to a bunch of elite athletes who are in their teens or just oh, preteens. especially girls <laughs> with I know. I mean, he single-handedly yeah. started so many eating disorders. Oh. It, oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so kind so, of 
So how what? did that affect you, Nikki? How did that affect you? Oh, really? It was horrible. Um, I thought it was great at the time. Um, I thought this was going to be my, you know, this was going to be how I was going to make some big leap in my ski results is, oh, oh, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know I shouldn't have any dairy that has any fat or eat any red meat or, you know. And so I started eating a, a super low-fat diet, I mean, ridiculously low-fat. And But we didn't, we weren't really given any nutritional knowledge other than go low-fat. So um, I was hungry all the time, eating tons of sugar um, because you I, I, it wasn't that I just went out with the intent to eat sugar, but when you don't eat any fat, you're hungry, you're never satisfied. And um, so basically I got chubby, um, but was still, you know, worked out all the time. So I was still a, a decent athlete. And, and you know, it's hard to know because it's kind of, I was so young that I don't know what my results would have been like had I not been eating so horribly for many, so many years. Did do you and think, did that oh. affect your um so did that like how did that affect you as in your um how can i say it but did it do you think you would have had better performance if you had not changed your diet do you think yeah. you would have been performing better and did you find you had any hormonal issues from that. Well, I had hormonal issues anyway. I mean, yeah, I think, that, I mean, I think, you know, it would be, it would be really interesting to know. I mean, I went, I went five years between periods. Um, so I didn't have a period yeah, all of high school. hormone problems. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a small problem. Yeah. Um, and, and the funny thing is doctors just, they never looked at my diet. Um, and they basically dismissed me. Um, they're like, oh, well, you run and you ski. That's why you don't get periods. Like if you want to have kids someday, you know, gain a little weight and, and um, you know, and, and stop running for a while. And I mean, it was unbelievable that nobody did any investigation of my diet or um, my reproductive system. I mean, five years without a period is a long, long time to go. And, um, you know, so so we don't actually know exactly what happened and if you know it, humans are really tough to study I'd, I'd love to see what my life would have been like had I been eating a even reasonably not necessarily you know fat adapted kind of athlete but Sorry? if I had just been you know eating yeah. a, a yeah, normal amount of fat. what'd you say Naomi no no sorry it's okay the uh so that what at what point did you start to think like things are things are not quite right and you started doing did, was it when you ran into Peter or did you start looking no, at the back before actually, then? No, it was you know the funny thing is that I didn't you know I, I this is ridiculous but I you know when you're young you have so much trust in both adults and authority figures and doctors and you've got somebody who's all three of those things and a television star doctor and that's really you know so susceptible to that at that age and for whatever reason I never thought to question the diet I mean I just thought that I, that that any goals I wasn't achieving in in skiing were related to well I'm not training enough or I'm not training hard enough or you know all the things that we tell ourselves and although I was running I was racing quite well um, but yeah I stayed on the the very very low fat thing for about 15 years and it was 2000 just I think it was the summer of 2000 that I was three hours into a four hour training run and I just looked at my friend and I was like I need a steak and he looked at me because he knew what, how I normally ate and he was like what are you talking about and and so we finished the run went to a, a bison farm and I just sat there and ate like a whole bag of jerky and then had an eight ounce like pretty much raw steak um, right uh, for dinner that night and Within a month, I was running just much, much faster than I ever had. Um, you know, the next year qualifying for both the World Mountain Running Championships and World 100K team. Um, you know, I qualified for both of those events within like uh, two, two or three months of each other. 
Um, and that's stuff that I'd always been just, um, you know, especially for mountain running, I'd always been just, just off the U S team, you know, never quite good enough. And, um, and which is the way I was all through high school and college in my ski career. Um, you know, I, I would always make national championships for NCAAs or whatever, but I would, you know, I would be in the top 20 in the U S but I wouldn't be in the top 10. And, um, you know, like, like how my body reacted to training and to sport just was, was incredibly different once I, and I, once I started just adding red meat into my diet. And so that added a bit more fat and then just sort of, um, allowing myself to eat nuts and, um, and cheese and that kind of thing. That, and did you, you know, oh, sorry, Naomi, you can talk. That's okay. Um, Nikki, I, love your story because I actually went through the same like the same journey in my life you know it was different but um and and very similar with my uh you know my fertility and the way that my body went and my low self-confidence like how did you deal with that um throughout life and how did you find after you started to eat the meat and and the nuts and all the good fats that they never told you, you know, it was always um, seen as as um, not good food instead of good to have in your diet. So how did you how did you cope with that? Uh, not well. <laughs> um, you know, I I never even thought to look into my diet when things would go wrong. I mean, here I was. Um, you know, in my early 20s being diagnosed with major depression, um, which I had definitely throughout high school at least, um, but hadn't had it, had it at a sort of subclinical stage. Um, and so we treated initially my depression just with, um, with medication, which worked really, really well. Um, but we didn't treat it with diet at all. Um, and I, I can say that it's, um, that I, that that I I do better in general um, with with healthy healthy fats and and meats and all that in my diet. That's better for my mood. Um, so you know the answer is I just didn't cope well. Yeah, yeah, and you could see like since you started incorporating those foods into your diet, you could start to see that um, your mood and the way that you coped with things became better. Would yes. you say? Yeah. yeah, you yeah, I absolutely. Um you know, I when I was on that low fat diet, I was um well, I was hungry all the time and I would get you know that sort of hypoglycemia sort of hangry attitude that people get and um you know, I I was very hot tempered <laughs> and all of that and I, and I don't know how much of that was just that my brain chemistry was all off because I never gave it any fat. Um, but it, um, but I, I do think that was, that was a major factor, but it's, it's kind of funny that I had two major problems. I mean, one with, uh, five years of amenorrhea and then, um, major depression. Uh, I mean, those are two hugely life affecting, um, symptoms or diseases or whatever. And, um, and nobody ever, no doctor, no coach, nobody ever really looked into diet. Um, one high school coach did, but I was too, I didn't listen to him, which was stupid. Do you think, I mean, I, I had a similar story. I had uh, no period for, I, I wasn't five years, but about three years and and the same thing. And, you know, Naomi had the, the same thing. Um, and I think that, uh, do you, do you think the tide is turning? Because Peter and I have this discussion, not regularly, but I feel like the tide is turning and that people are waking up to fat's good for you. And he's on the camp that it's still the prevailing paradigm is, you know, fat is still bad and uh, you should be eating a bunch of vegetables. So do you, what's your take? Do you feel like the tide's turning or do you feel like it's still so huge? I think it's turning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, and at least people have other options. I mean, I think when we were young, when we were kind of, um, 
Well, Certainly they, when we were in high school. In the 80s, that's when fat was horrible. I ate no fat yeah. in high school. And, yep. I, and I was depressed and uh, always hungry and, and couldn't. Uh, and when I did um, get pregnant, um, I had a miscarriage in between. And, and Naomi's ha- had fertility problems as well. That, you know, and I knew a ton of women who had, who still have fertility problems that no doctor ever said, hey, maybe you should change your diet. Yeah. So it's, and it's, it's sad, but I, I think it's great that you're working with the girls on the run. I don't know if you're just fundraising for them or or do you, do you work directly with them? Um, Yeah, Nikki, how about you tell us um, how you have, um, how you support your community now and what you do, um, what you do in your normal life now, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I'm, you know, I still work in physical therapy. Um, so that's one of the things that I do. Um, and you know, largely I treat runners. Um, but the girls on the run connection came through the Vermont long trail, um, expedition because when I did that expedition, I knew we'd be getting some media attention around that. So um, that allows one to make money for something uh, we care about. And so uh, I and I definitely wanted to support uh, a Vermont cause um, as well as a Montana cause because the, the film, the whole project kind of um, was about training in Montana and about doing this expedition through the state of Vermont. And so... Um, Girls on the Run Vermont um, ended up being my my Vermont charity, um, and I and I had a uh, less organized but similar concept um, charity in uh, in the town that I work in, Livingston, Montana. Um, at the same time, so P- I just had I asked people to give to either of those two uh, running um, you know girls running groups, and then it's just and now I've been doing you know some talks for Girls on the Run in. And in um, October, I'm going to uh, do a three-city tour of Vermont um, with uh, four girls on the run uh, with my movie Finding Traction. Um, so, and I and I, yeah, you know, I go to Girls on the Run events here in Bozeman as well. Now that we finally have have a Girls on the Run program, do you talk about diet when you do your talks? Do you talk about any of that? That um... You know, it's funny because most of my talks um, don't don't directly go to diet, but always in the question and answer s- session they do, which is really good. Um, and you know, I'm not a dietitian, and I I know that you know that the higher fat diet works super well for me, um, but it's not it's not where I feel like I'm an expert. Um, you know, it's sort of nutrition in and of itself. So. You know, when I speak, I'm usually speaking more on um, things about physical therapy, running injuries, um, sport, you know, that that kind of thing. Um, and, um, you know, and, and diet plays into that, but it's not the it's not the primary thing I speak of. So can you tell me a little bit more about Girls on the Run? I'm a bit of an Aussie, so. Um, oh, I'm right. Not... Yeah, there wouldn't be yes. any reason. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but although they, it's either. They might even be from Canada, but um, but it's it's a program for young girls um, just to introduce it, it. It's a program where they, these girls meet a couple times a week and basically train for a 5K, but um, at the end of a couple of months. And um, but but the program's really more about teaching life skills, the non-cognitive skills that you know you don't necessarily learn in um, in school. Um, things like you know how to stand up for oneself and um, and anti-bullying. Um, oh wow! And stuff, confidence. That kind of confidence. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's one of those. You know, one of the things that women tend not to be as good at in in business is really sticking up for ourselves, asking for asking to be paid what we're worth. That. Um, you know, at least our generation of women isn't isn't super good at that, and um, and so girls on the run it teaches these sort of self affirming um, thought patterns and actions um, through 
through using running as a way to do that. And, and it's a brilliant way to do it because we all know that our cognitive functions better while we are running. Um, you know, it definitely increases um, how well we think uh, the extra, any type of exercise. It doesn't have to be running. Um, but to, to marry um, important um, skills for life or any type of learning with sport um, seems to be particularly effective. And, um, and I think they're creating not only lifelong runners, but they're also creating um, lifelong strong, strong um, women and girls. Yes, yeah. The, um, which I think is great that you're a part of that. And uh, I, I've met a few girls on the run people in Arizona that, um, that are part of some of the race directors here do some stuff with girls on the run, which I think is super, super cool. I want to I want to deviate back to diet just because I'm curious and, and, want, and just like the girls always ask you about your diet um, or they don't always. But, you know, when you give your talks, they're they're asking about diet. Um, do you feel like uh, do you tell them like, hey, I, I follow a high fat diet and, and that really helps me? Or, or what do you typically say whenever they ask you that question? Yeah, well, it's usually asked more about, um, you know, the, I'll, I'll, I get more often, and not necessarily from the girls, but certainly from any ultra runner, how do you fuel? I mean, that's the big question that you get any time you talk to ultra running audiences. Um, <clears throat> you know, oh, you're running through, you're running for five days straight. You know, what do you eat? Um, that tends to be more the question I get. Um, but I try, um, but I... So I, I don't, I will tell exactly, you know, I'll tell people what I eat. Um, but I, I also want people to do their own research a little bit to, right. to, to really be invested in, in how they eat. And, and so I, but I definitely want people, especially young people knowing that, you know, eating meats and eating cheeses and eating fat, um, it can be a very good thing. Um, I, I don't want uh, I, I would hate to have people grow up the way we did and be told that basically if you eat fat, you're going to be a horrible athlete. And, you know, and I felt I, I remember feeling quite superior in high school to other people because, you know, I never ate fat. So I was just a better, you know, like like in high school uh, and and even adults sometimes, you know, have their diet as this huge identity thing and they value judge people based on diet and how you eat. And, um, and I certainly was guilty of that, um, in high school and college. And, you know, and, and, and the scary thing is I actually was convinced that I was, that I was right, even though my results looking back on them weren't that great, but it was still, you know, I'm racing division one and, you know, one of the you know top 20 at nationals. Um, so, so I just didn't, I, I didn't realize the fact, you know, how much diet could affect um, performance, it, except, um, how do I say this? Um, yeah, so I didn't realize that the diet I was using was affecting performance so negatively. And it, I didn't even think to open my mind to other possible diets. I was just like, you know, if I was, if I was weighing a little bit too much, I was like, wow, I... I must have had something with fat in it. I, you know, I was still able to just not have any connection of <clears throat> what my diet was to, um, to reality, I guess. Well, and, yeah. and so that's what I want to do when girls ask me is right. I want to expose them to, hey, you can, you know, you can try some different things. And if it's not working for you, change it. Um, you know, I, I just never thought to change to change that. Well, so um, how did you tweak your diet over the years of racing ultras? Because obviously, um, like, I don't know whether you – well, tell us. How, did yeah. you find it very hard to come across to start to eat natural fats and um, and meats and things like that? Yeah, I and did. I, I, so uh, how, how did you like go – I almost guilty uh, yeah. eating fat. I mean, I was so – I feel like I was so programmed to think fats were evil <laughs> that, and, and I still run into people, um, 
you know, a lot of times people who are trying to lose weight or something saying, oh my God, if I, if I eat meat like you do, or, you know, that avocado you ate or whatever, um, you know, I just immediately get fat. And what they don't realize is that they'd have such an easier time losing weight if they'd actually, you know, uh, go lower the carbs and increase the fat. And, um, so, so it was tough for me. Um, I think, you know, it was tough for me to be able to accept eating fat, even when I saw myself running faster after I changed my diet. Um, it was still, it was like, oh, well that maybe I just wasn't having enough protein and, you know, now I'm now meeting meat a few times a week and, and, um, and so it, it got me sort of partway where I needed to be and I was running much, much better. Um, but it wasn't until maybe eight years into my ultra career that, um, yeah, eight, eight nine, 10 years in, I just started getting sick anytime I would fuel, uh, after about 40 miles in a race. And, um, it was really after that, that Peter contacted me and, you know, I was already eating quite a bit of meat at that point and, um, and, and talked to me about, um, really coming into races in a nutritional ketosis kind of state. And, and, um, and that was what's kind of allowed me, I think, to come back. Like I had a few years in there where I was just running horribly, um, for me and, um, you know, I was still racing all the top races. Um, and, and granted I, you know, I'm in year 17 of, of ultra competition. So, um, you know, I have a lot of, I, I have a ton of miles on me, which is definitely going to, um, slow, which slows people down. I mean, most people don't last decades in the sport, um, or even over a decade. Um, and I think that I've been able to have that longevity because I switched my diet. And, and I know that I was at a point where I just couldn't, I, I like even the, even just eating a, a pretty well-rounded sort of, um, like 30% fat, 30%, um, protein, 30% or 40%, carbohydrate diet, um, which was way more fat and protein than I used to have. Um, I still, um, that still wasn't enough to get me through my races, uh, without being quite sick. Um, after, you know, eight or 10 years of running. Since you, so how long did it take you, Nikki? Sorry. Right? Sorry, Steph. How long did it take you? How long did it take you to become, to switch over? To get sort your of body fat adapted. adapted. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, you know, it's so funny because I just sort of naturally, with nobody telling me what to do, uh, was increasing my fat and increasing my protein intake throughout the 2000s. And, um, but I just wasn't going, I wasn't really getting into that fat adapted um, state. And really it took about, um, well, it's less than a couple of weeks. I mean, after talking to Peter about this, I, I decided to try, you know, oh, let's see what happens if I go, um, super low carb. And I did a five hour ski race, ski, um, hiking and ski race, um, about two weeks after really going into that kind of diet. And, um, and it was the first race in years where I wasn't feeling sick. And, um, you know, I, got the course record, um, and beat all the men in that race and, um, you know, just raced back the way I used to race. Um, and, and I couldn't, you know, I mean, I, I think when you're younger in a sport, you can get away with more bad habits nutritionally, but as you age and, you know, we, we get this accumulated effect of, of thousands and thousands and thousands of miles on our body. Um, you, you can't get away with, um, letting, letting nutrition slide or letting core strength slide or you, you just, you know, you can let things slide when you're in your 20s. You can't in your 30s and 40s. Do you feel like now that you've become, you're fat adapted and you're pretty dedicated to that nutritional paradigm that are you, do you feel like you're improving at all? Do you feel like you're sort of recovering from the bad diet at all or in, in actually gaining strength and speed? as a, Yeah, I think I, I really have been getting better over the last three years uh, with the exception of this spring. I mean, it's, um, I have not been healthy. You know, I wasn't hugely healthy this spring. I was having some problems with depression. And, um, and when that happens, there's nothing – there's not I, I, diet is not enough. It's sort of necessary but not sufficient to really um, 
be well. But for the first, uh, certainly for the first, it's been three or four years I've been eating this way. Um, and it's really helped me to improve. I mean, there are other, you know, there's so many other factors than diet that, you know, if I happen to have a rough spring, you know, I was traveling constantly and, you know, I was doing, there were lots of reasons to not, uh, perform well that really probably are separate from diet. Um, although I was, although I was off my normal diet quite a bit because I was traveling so much. So, you know, did know the fact that I was completely off my yeah. diet, did that, is that what started, you know, me getting so sick? But, and, and, and that may have played a role. Um, but, um, you know, I just don't know because there's just so it's so many factors on a human and I'm very, you know, uh, you know, being a physiotherapist, I'm, I'm very scientific about, um, about what affects performance and so and what I'm willing to commit to um, as far as um, what's helping me and what's not but what I can say is that you know being on being being on a fat adaption OFM kind of diet um, my performance has been much better whether I can say that was part of the cause of that 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 sort of being on a very different diet over the spring was part of the cause of a relapse of depression. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I, I, I just, you know, I can't honestly say it was definitely, you know, having not, not, not being on my normal diet. Um, but that certainly might've played into it. Right. Yes. Because, um, cause usually, and I find that myself, you know, like if, if you don't look after yourself, it's not just your diet, is it? It's, it's everything. It's the whole, it's your diet, it's your, your sleep, sleep, it's, and- um, your stress, um, they all play a part in your hormones, don't they? They do, and I think they build on each other. Right, it's a domino. And yeah. yeah, yeah, it is a bit of a domino effect, and and diet is something we can control. I mean, yes, um, you know, and and although it's very tough to control, while um, training, while while training internationally, sometimes and going to races. Um, it, it going, you know, I started the race. I started the season with um, with the coastal challenge in in Costa Rica, and that was a fantastic week. Um, I mean, just great. Um, but they they feed you, and um, and, and it's you know really tasty food, but it's but high high on the carbs. Um, and so, you know, here I'm basically, you know, coming off of my rest part of my year right into um, a week long stage race and not eating the food that I would normally eat. And, um, you know, and then I, I just kept traveling. And when somebody else is sort of taking you under their wing, you know, a race director or whatever, you, you and, and they're giving you food it's sometimes tough. It's very tough to say, no, no, I can't eat that. That has rice in it or something like that. And, um, you know, cause you want to be gracious to your hosts. And, and I've had, you know, I've just had, I've been lucky to have these wonderful people helping me to travel, um, to these really cool races this year. But at the same point, I didn't do a good enough job of, of taking enough sort of fat and meat supplementation with me but and that's a very difficult thing um running internationally you know, i can't i can't just take all the elk and deer meat that i have with me across national borders because it's not legal um so so i haven't figured out yet how to best um keep my diet really where i want it when i'm traveling to certain places where it's where it's tougher to get uh, high fat foods do you think that um, Peter tells me that you, for a large part of your food supply, and it's the community that you live in and a lifestyle that adopted? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, yes. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, where I live in, in you know, it's, it's Montana's a fairly rural state, and, you know, hunting and fishing are a huge part of the culture. And so, um, you know, and I, um, I do want to eat meat that is ethically harvested if I can. I mean, I, um, sometimes when you're in a, you're at a store or whatever, you just buy food and you've no idea what happened to that, 
what happened to that animal before it came to you um, as a piece of meat. And so I really like that I have the opportunity to hunt my own meat. So I'm getting my own food. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's really, um, you know, I know where the protein part of my diet is coming from. And I, and I know, you know, I have to supplement some more fat into it because game meat tends to be very, very lean. Um, but it's, it, it just makes me feel, feel good about being part of, um, being part of how I get my own food. You know, I go out there and, um, and harvest my own meat and, and butcher it and, uh, cook it up and all of that. And it's, it's, um, it's it's nice on so many levels because you because you know the animals um, were quite healthy um, and that they were um, killed very quickly and um, you know that you're not eating any steroids or or antibiotics or any weird stuff um, so yeah I just like that part. Do you uh, harvest the organ meat too? Are you? Um... Um, you know it's funny. I, so I think organ meat, I, I am, I have finally come to be converted to thinking that organ meat's really important. Um, well, but maybe, it, it took me a while to get step. there. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the missing link. <laughs> so I'm just joking. <laughs> no, that's totally it. I mean, you look at the, you know, you look at the liver on an elk, it is huge. It is. And, um, you know, and I've just, I, I take liver supplements and I don't really like the taste of liver. Um, but there, there are a lot of, you know, you can take desiccated liver pills and that's pretty that's an easier way to do it but um but i have not as yet harvested enough of the organ meat for myself sometimes i harvest it for my dog i'll I'll send you a liver recipe that is the best and i've used elk liver for it really yeah i mean there's a lot of bacon involved i think you should um i think you should share it on our show notes i will share everyone should I'll share yeah. it in my show notes, but it, it's equal parts bacon and liver and a, a lot of onion. I know if you like onion, you'll probably probably like it and, and some rosemary and um, it comes out pretty good. The, the yeah. key is like for me, the liver, it's the texture that gets me. Well, and that's it for me too. And, um, but it's been a long time, honestly. It, you know, I haven't been eating that, um, you know, I haven't. I, you know, it's, I'm the, the typical person who had liver as a kid and had it probably cooked incredibly poorly. And, and then it, it, it the, the texture is just gross and whatever when, when it's not prepared well. But then I, I think about, um, lots of foods that people say they don't like, but the only way, reason they don't like them is because they've only had them when they've been prepared poorly. Um, I mean, a lot of people say that, um, pronghorn, which is, an antelope like critter that lives around here, um, that they, that that meat doesn't taste good. And I, and I think that I think it's fantastic meat. Um, and I think that the people who, who think that it, it tastes bad are the ones who have had it from, um, people who just haven't handled the meat well. I mean, you, you run an animal before you kill it, it's going to have a lot of lactic acid in it. And, um, and if you don't get that meat into a cool place very, very quickly, um, the meat is not going to taste good. I mean, meat will not taste good if it's been, you know, in warm weather and, and just been sort of sitting out and, and not handled really properly. Um, so, so I think a lot of times we make decisions, we make broad decisions about food based on one or two experiences where maybe we had a food that, that is quite good, um, but we had it prepared poorly and we just don't want to eat it again. I have a confession. I have eaten antelope many times and my son shot the antelope and it dropped right away so i and i know we prepared it good but it's still a little gamier than i like <laughs> but well i don't know you know where i hunt antelope um a lot depends on what I actually they eat know too. what what the animal eats so if you're what they yeah. what your antelope eat there and what they antelope eat here in arizona might be different because yeah, that could be. the um the antelope that we got and i i butcher um my son hunt i hunt too but i'm not a very good hunter so so yeah. it's a, um 
my son's actually a really good hunter and um we have a lot of game and i'm i'm the one who butchered the antelope and we're the one who prepared all of it so i know that you know sometimes you send an, an animal to a packing plant and you're like you don't know how they process you're not that. getting your animal back right you you're just getting parts and if you had to make sausage where you know it's iffy but um but so i know my son's antelope was all handled perfectly and just the it was just so much stronger than elk because elk tastes like elk is very beefy it's pretty good it is i love elk and so uh antelope is so much stronger than than elk um or at least the antelope that we've had he um i've had a couple antelope but i just make a lot of chili out of it so yeah and and you can make chili out of any kind of meat you know and and maybe that's the thing with you know, organ meats for if it freaks people out. Maybe you just have to put it in chili or something. Yeah, um, it although it. In, yeah. in South Africa just recently, I had some um, basically an organ meat stew kind of thing that was really, really good. Um, and I think it was it was either goat or sheep. We actually kind of didn't know, which is kind of funny. But um, <laughs> but it was something local, and I had some of the stomach and then some parts of near its hoof. Um, you know, it, it, and it was quite good. Um, but again, you know, it, but it's, it's a little bit different. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I, um, but it, it just, our expectations of what we're going to eat color, how, how it tastes to us. Oh yeah. I mean, especially if you're telling somebody it's a game animal and then they have the game animal, then their, their thoughts are different than if they think it's hamburger, um, or, you know, or beef or, or whatever. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. If somebody's been told that, oh, this animal, you know, eating, you know, animal X, like mule deer, let's say it's just mule deer, and, uh, you know, eating mule deer is gross, they taste like sage, um, if you're told that, and I was told that for a long time, and so when I first had mule deer, you know, that did color my my uh, enjoyment of it, I guess, um, and then I and then I sort of figured out, wait a second, no, this actually does taste really good, um, but it... Um, but if you're not going into it with an open mind, it's going to taste bad. Right. I, I've gotten Nikki, more... um, oh, sorry. Sorry. Before, I... we, before we bring it to a close, can you just tell us a little bit about the finding traction and the long trail? Um, sure, yeah. Um, and the, the film, Finding Traction, was um, well, the whole expedition of running, of trying to get the fastest known time. So the, the, the premise... Is going after the fastest known time on the long trail, which is um, an old, old one, the oldest hiking trail of its length um, in our country. And um, you know, I grew up very close to the long trail, and um, and so it was, you know, it was always a place we ran and trained um, as kids, and I and I wanted to run it end to end, you know, as when I was quite, quite young, when I heard a rumor about some of the U.S. men's ski team running the whole, the whole long trail. Um, so, so 273 miles, like 60 something thousand feet of vertical gain. Um, so, so that's the trail and it's very rocky, very muddy, um, very technical. Um, and so it's just a really, really tough, really beautiful, beautiful trail. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny that it was, I think, high school or before that I had first thought about doing this. And then, you know, 20 years later, I'm actually, actually doing it and making, um, and, and there's a film crew with me making a film about, um, about what it takes to, you know, to train for and execute such a, such a project. And, um, so the film just follows my training and sort of my thoughts on running and why we run and, um, and it, it it follows that and then follows the, the actual expedition itself. It's amazingly mentally tough, isn't it? Like how did you get through it mentally <laughs> at those stages? I just, yeah, just yeah. Well, and it's tough because Yeah, because the film, and I, and I think the editor did a fantastic job with the film. Um, and, you know, I... I, I Interestingly, I haven't even met the editor yet in person, although we're having breakfast tomorrow. Um, 
But she, so she, the, the editor wasn't in, wasn't involved at all in any of the filming. And I think that, you know, the filmmaker, the producer, the sound and video people, um, they all got a little bit too close to the subject matter because you, they were also, um, you know, I wasn't sleeping obviously very much cause I was running. Um, and then my team my, my pacers, all those people were not sleeping and, and we were all sort of probably everybody was kind of off their normal food, off their normal sleep patterns. And, um, and documentarians try to remain very, um, very objective and try to not be part of the story themselves. But in this type of expedition filming, you, you, you can't maintain that, that objectivity. And so I think that Stephanie did a fantastic job of putting, putting the film together in a way that showed the rougher spots. Um, and so it wasn't all, you know, in the film you, you see, you, you don't see my absolute lowest low, but you see stuff that's, that's pretty low. Um, and, and there were a lot of times during those five days where I was really having fun and really enjoying myself. Um, and you don't necessarily see all of that in the film. Okay. We did not see the lowest lows and they must've been pretty low because. Well, there was just one other, there was one other time. And unfortunately the, um, the film got corrupted. Um, the, 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 the the SD cards, but, uh, it was a more interesting low. (laughs) It was, it was one of those things where I was just having a breakdown, like the breakdown that's in the movie. Um, but what got me out of it was, you know, sort of towards the end of my breakdown, I was like, it's just so hard. And, uh, one of my good friends, Debbie, she goes, well, if it weren't hard, you wouldn't be doing it. And I just immediately snapped out of that, um, out of that melancholy I was in, I was like, oh my God, you're right. Of course I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't hard. And I just jumped up and started running, you know, from being like crying on the ground, being a, just a disaster to, Oh yeah, I like things that are hard, and then I just kind of like like had a great twenty or thirty miles after that. Oh, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sweet. Can you talk a little bit about uh, when you started using Vespa? Because it's on it's on your big shelf behind you, and, and yep, has the along with the diet that combo really helped you um, with your race? Yes, yeah, it has, and that's like you know that first five hour race I was talking about. Um, that was definitely, that was my, also my first use of Vespa. So not only was I, you know, going into it in nutritional ketosis, um, but I, I was using Vespa, um, and it worked, you know, brilliantly, obviously that first race. And then, um, so when I did the long trail expedition, I was, um, you know, definitely fueling with a lot of high fat stuff and it was great and using Vespa. And, um, then the last day I decided um, to see what would happen if I, I just, I, like, I always like to experiment. So the last day of my run, I decided to just take Vespa away completely and see what happened. Um, and I, and I was needing food every 30 minutes and, um, and it was, it was really, really rough. Um, and, you know, again, who know you know, it can't, I, I can't rule out the, preceding four days where I was running a lot, you know, maybe that was the cause of, of being such a disaster, but it did, I did notice a dramatic difference, um, in in how I was feeling, um, on that last day. But I, I knew, you know, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna lose the women's record if I tried to experiment with this and, um, and I wanted to see what would happen and, and it, it definitely didn't go very well. Well, at least you know that it, it has has an effect. Uh, so yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In a good good way when you're using it, not so good when you whenever you don't. So you know, talking about the the movie. Uh, so in the in the end, you ended up breaking the woman's record by quite a bit. Um, yes. Uh, how many? How long? How many days was it? You know, it was a it was more than a couple of days, but she did it um, self supported. So, you know, it's a, it's an apples to oranges kind of connect, you know, kind of, um, kind of comparison. So 
you know, I, I want, well, first of all, I want to do, I want to do the long trail again because I know I can go much, much faster than I did. I made a lot of mistakes. I had never done anything like that project before. And, um, and I, and I just made mistakes that had nothing to do with nutrition or training really that just, just with mistakes and execution. Um, and so, um, there- so, so the men's re- the men's record is absolutely achievable by a woman. Um, I, but, but I didn't get it on that time, uh, on my first attempt. Um, but, but, but it's definitely, it's, it's definitely doable. Um, and I would like to, I, you know, yeah, my record was way faster than, um, than the record that, that was there, but I haven't, we haven't had enough women really try to, um, try to get that record yet. That's cool. With full support. So are you plan? Are you planning it, or is it just you know? In the I am hoping to do it next year, two thousand sixteen. Oh, awesome! Um, it's a it's a matter of you know whether I get enough funding, sponsorship, that kind of stuff for um, for doing that that event. And I and I um, I just all the stupid mistakes we made, and we just had to learn by doing it ourselves. Um, I, I think we can be much much more efficient um, in in where I sleep, in how, you know, how I approach it. I won't spend the entire night before I go not sleeping at all. I mean, I did not sleep a second, um, on the day before, you know, I started this four day, five day expedition. Um, so going in sleep deprived, you know, I mean, just, and, 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 you know, I was wearing shoes that were just horrible and, um, you know, I'm with Hoka. They make fantastic shoes. I'm with Hoka now. And, um, and so, so I've, I've just got things kind of better, better situated, um, for, for the, that, those particular trails, um, you know, shoe choices and sport. And I made some mistakes on that. Um, sleep is obviously important. I made mistakes on that. Um, so I am hoping, you know, 2016 to go, go do that again and, and, um, put what I've learned from the 2012 expedition into effect. And, and actually um, run it faster. Oh, that sounds awesome. So do you have a website, Nikki, that you have your, that we can... Um, I do, I'm nikkikimble.com, uh, but I'm really bad at keeping my website. Like, I, I'm just starting the whole website thing. I mean, I've spent the last 11, well, no, the last 16 years um, really focused on racing and not on social media or, or website stuff. So um, that... This is just something because I've been working so much in physio. Um, it's not I've not had time to spend on um, to spend on 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 website or building my brand or anything. I've just been out there running. Um, you know, I haven't really, been worried about building a brand. It's actually yeah. just competing. <laughs> So hopefully I, I am trying to get, it's one of my goals for the next, in the next six months is to really get my website up in solid. And, um, so, and so let's hope finding that it's, video yeah, 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 well, you can cool. get, there'll be links to finding traction, but finding traction film, um, really stays current on Facebook. Okay. Yeah. All right. They, they well, we might a, put that in the show notes. I'll put that in the show notes and I'll put the, where you can buy the DVD. Cause I found yes. the YouTube video on the Facebook page for finding finding traction. So there was a link from the Facebook page, but I'll, yep. I'll say preferably you actually purchase the video cuz you're supporting the PBS, right? You're yeah, and you know public we could not have done this project. I mean, trying to get anything focused on women's sports, <laughs> trying to get money for that uh for films on women. I and mean, there just aren't that many films out there. They're starting to be um uh, companies that will pay, um, you know, will we'll put a lot of money into women athletes. But really, that's something that is only happening uh, on a larger scale over the last ten years, and we're nowhere near. Um, we're we're nowhere near getting the media attention on women. We could uh, do that, a whole podcast to- on that. I mean, why? Oh my want- God, we could. Well, yeah, and and what was fantastic about the recent World Cup uh, soccer result is that people are finally, for the first time, I mean, I've been racing, I've been racing um, for four decades now, 
um, I mean, I was three when I started and I didn't know much about it, but, um, but I was racing when I was a really little kid. And, um, so, so I, I've had this lifetime of being in sport and the women who are doing the sports are getting frustrated that there is not real good, uh, gender equity. Um, but finally people who aren't necessarily athletes themselves are starting to be like, oh, wow, the women got paid 16 times less than the men. That's bad. You know, I mean, we're finally right. getting people outside of, of being athletes who are starting to realize that it's not fair. And, and you know, the beauty is, is that in, um, in, in ultra running, we are much better about equal pay than, any, than, than a lot of sports. Um, and, but, but I think, you know, we're a smaller sport and we have a lot of very, very strong women in the sport and, um, and we're quite demanding, you know, we're, we're good about demanding being paid equal prize money. Um, and that's, we're finally really seeing that in our sport and, um, some of the other professional sports need to step up and, um, certainly international soccer needs to, they, I mean, it's just criminal almost that they're paying the women so, so little. Oh, and uh, soccer, male soccer players make an insane amount of money. Even insane. Insane. Yeah, there was a, like, my husband was saying there was a, like, a $1.2 million deal that was just to trade the guy. That wasn't his yeah. pay. That was just the deal to trade him. And uh, we were talking about the Tour de France because my husband's a, a cyclist. And, uh... The women's race was actually pretty good. For the They just had the one race. But 10 years ago, they used to have women who did a, a whole female tour. And I had never even heard of it. And yeah. um, it would be great if they would bring stuff like like that back. They have all, a female Giro d'Italia. Um, but it's, you know, now with cable, there's so much. Uh, it's easy to find find other sports online it's not like just football and baseball on tv so that's another benefit and people watching stuff over the internet it's another yeah Yeah. and and so there is there is you know i i think women's women are going to be um are are going to I, i think we will reach some way better gender equity than we have now um but you know you're right that when there are only like three major um uh, uh, television stations in the U S when we grew up or whatever. And, and there were just these tiny outlets for, for sport. Um, the women, it was really, really hard for women to, to, um, to gain any sort of, uh, notoriety and because they were never shown. Um, and, and so the only way we can prove that women's sports are worth watching is by putting them out there. And now we finally have, um, you know, with internet and technology, we're able to show that, hey, we work just as hard, where our races are just as exciting, our competitions are just as exciting as the men's. Um, and But when people didn't know, had no, op, no ability to watch women's sports, how could they demand? They, they didn't know that they should be demanding to watch women's sports right. because they're, they're just, they didn't even have that opportunity. Right. So it's, it's amazing. It's a, it's a pretty cool time to be, to be alive, I think. So, yeah, it really is. Yeah. It really is. I mean, we, we, um, there are, you know, there's always unfairness in the world. Um, but on, on the, from a women's sporting perspective, um, you know, we're actually making big differences. Um, I mean, in the last 20 years, I've seen huge, huge differences across the board, uh, across all sports in how women are treated and, and we're, you know, some sports more than others. There are some sports where women are way, way behind, way underappreciated, um, still. And uh, but but we're making we're making progress, and we've made huge progress, and we will continue to. Super amazing talking to you, Nikki. We're about yeah. out of time, but I appreciate you coming on and just your wisdom and and your hearing about your journey is is an inspiration to me and I hope to all those young girls out there who are looking up to you and, uh, and you're inspiring them as well. And the older generation too, Steph. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm older and you're inspiring me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're all I kind think of, what, you know, I mean, Stephanie's about my age. I don't Naomi, I think you're a little bit younger, but, um, 
yeah, but but the older generation, that's that's another podcast, man. I mean, there are so many amazing, amazing oh, 50, 60, yeah. 70, 80 year old athletes out there. That's and, true. and, you know, it, and maybe that's, you know, we're looking for uh, equity on a gender basis right now. I mean, maybe in 20 years, the fight is going to be, you know, let's look at the 60 plus category because that's super competitive, which of course it is, right. um, you know, and, and, and there's just lots of lots of areas in sport that are untapped still. And, um, you know, and, and certainly women's sports have been largely untapped, but that's changing and changed a ton. And um, master's athletics is might be the next sort of big, big deal. Right. And by the time it becomes a big deal, we'll be in the master's category. The exactly. Six, <laughs> the 60 plus. We just have to make sure that, you know, in the U.S. Gen, Gen, Generation X, that we are the center of everything, you know, from when we're children all the oh, way up till when, yes, that's, you know, not that's <laughs> right. And now that I've become fat adapted uh, and am doing so much better that maybe I'll actually be able to do a race with you and not be at the very back of the pack while you're at the very front. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but even if, it does help a lot to have the diet. Yeah. So if you're, even if you're still in the very front, I'll still be cheering for you. <laughs> so, well, great talking to you. And I'm excited to have you on again, um, just because it's just cause it's fun. That's why. So, uh, I'll, um, we'll sign off and I know Peter and Zach have plans to chat with you about more technical training stuff. Very good. Cool. All right.